Hey, Leading Learning listener, if you represent a membership organization looking for ways to expand your online course catalog rapidly with high quality content, we have good news. At leadinglearning.com AMA, you can find out how to make online training from the American Management Association available to your learners. Through a partnership between AMA and Tagoras, the parent company of Leading Learning, you can give your learners access to more than 70 e-learning modules covering essential business topics ranging from leading and innovating, to managing projects effectively, to working in hybrid teams. For details on how to grow your catalog with courses from a true global leader in management training, visit leadinglearning.com AMA. If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to episode 178 of the Leading Learning Podcast, where we continue the conversation with Jeff DeCania, the executive advisor for Foresight First LLC, about artificial intelligence. And I'm going to cut right to the chase and ask you, Salisa, what does this part of the conversation cover? Well, back in episode 177, Jeff and I talked about an AI-first world. We covered some common misconceptions about AI, and we got into the ethical issues surrounding AI. In this next part of our conversation, we get into the implications of artificial intelligence for work and learning. We get into the idea of integrated intelligences. We get into some specific advice for listeners around AI. And of course, I asked Jeff about one of his most powerful learning experiences since finishing his formal education. I look forward to hearing about that experience. And I'll say to listeners, if you didn't catch part one of this conversation, we definitely encourage you. In fact, we urge you to go and give that a listen just by going to leadinglearning.com slash episode 177. But for now, let's roll the second part of this interview with Jeff DeCania on artificial intelligence. we turn a little bit and, and look specifically at work and learning, so what are the main implications that you see for work and learning as artificial intelligence evolves? You know, what are the, the major challenges and opportunities that you think we're going to see? So, you know, I think there's so much discussion these days about, about the future of work, and I just, I wanted to... Um, you know, talk about a few a few things that, as I sort of think about this, um, that I think are important. So, you know, as we move toward an AI first world, I think it's crucial that we look at work and learning as more intimately connected than we ever have before. So, there was an article recently in HBR uh, online uh, called "Making Learning a Part of Everyday Work." Um, the authors in that article argue for what they call learning in the flow of work. Um, the idea that the idea from their perspective is that according, according to their work, their research, um, most knowledge workers are so busy that they can only find five minutes on average to do any kind of formal learning each day. And the author's view, this idea of learning in the, in the flow of work is about integrating learning directly into work, um, to the point at which it essentially becomes invisible. Uh, and there's a variety of recommendations that they make. And again, I'll, we'll, you know, I'm sure you'll link to the article in the show notes. Um, I think that's a good place to start. I would want to take it a little bit further. So for me, in, in my view, there's no question that 
time considerations are a factor when it comes to to learning or not learning. Um, but I think an even more significant consideration is human attention. And the way I would make the distinction is that you know our, our time allotment, uh, if you will, is it's the same for everybody. We all get 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week, and, and so on. We, we have ways to quantify that, and so therefore we can quantify it and manage it in a different way. How we use our attention is a little bit more challenging to address um, because it's not easily quantified. It's also finite, however, and we do not have an unlimited supply of attention, none of us. It's hugely fragmented um, because we have a full spectrum of activities that we're all trying to manage, including things that I just referenced, including how social media and mobile are, are kind of, you know, kind of suck up our attention and that takes away from other um, from other things we do. Um, and, and that's, you know, all thinking about, um, you know, and also it's, it's, our attention is, is also highly fragile because we're easily, more easily distracted, I think, than we ever have been before. So we, I think we have to look at attention in two different modes, right? There's attention as a resource, which is really what we're kind of talking about. We're saying, okay, I'm putting my attention on this, or am I putting attention on that? Attention is a resource that we apply when we're trying to focus ourselves on the most important issue at hand, what is currently occupying our attention. And that's where the fragmentation comes in because mobile devices are pushing stuff to us. We're looking at, you know, we're pushing advertising to us. We're pushing content to us. Um, you know, we're using social as getting all that stuff as well. So attention is a resource that is in desperately short supply in that way because it, we're, 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 we're allocating it across so many different inputs, so many different stimuli that it, it undermines our ability to, to sometimes focus on the task at hand. And then there's the idea of attention as the way that we interact with and experience the world around us, right? Um, and, and that is allowing ourselves, enabling ourselves to immerse um, into what is happening. I, the way I would sort of describe this as some people will always say, you know, um, one of the critiques that, that, that some people will make of younger people is that the first thing they do when they're, when they're having experience, they pick up their phone, take a picture of it. Right. And, and people will say, just enjoy it. Right. You know, just, just allow yourself to enjoy the moment. And that's what I think is meant by attention as the way we interact with and experience the world around us. And, and it's not, you know, it's not one or the other is bad or good. It's just both of them exist and we have to figure out how to use them both well. One mode is more instrumental in nature, right? It's more something we apply directly to a task at hand or something that we're working on. The other is more reflective, uh, more literally experiential in nature. Both modes of attention are necessary for learning, right? And both modes are at risk um, for the reasons I've, I've given today and in the years ahead. So if we're going to make human learning more generative in an AI-first world, then I think we really need to consider how we're using our attention more effectively within a, a relatively simple cycle of learning that I like to talk about that knowledge workers go through every day. Every one of us uses this cycle, whether we realize it or not, every day. And, I'll, and I'll, just to illustrate how this cycle works, I'll use um, AI itself as an example, right? So the first part of the cycle is what I refer to as sense-making, right, which is literally answering the question, what do I need to understand? Again, we're using AI as an example. What do I need to learn to understand what AI is and how it works, right? Um, how do I make sense of what it is so that I can talk about it with others and work with it and you know other things? So I've got to have this understanding 
of what it is as a first step in my learning process, the sense-making process. This is, you know, this requires a kind of information-based learning that is very common to all of us. It's usually where we allocate most of our attention resources. You know, how do we, you know, which, which resource I was looking at things, preparing for our conversation, which was very much about the sense-making piece of the learning process. And, you know, there, artificial intelligence can be really useful to us because it might help us focus um, our attention resources and, and use them more effectively by suggesting valuable content, creating content summaries, um, perhaps even recognizing interesting patterns uh, in the content that would be useful useful to advance our understanding. Of course, you know, as we're doing all that, we have to continue to be mindful of any biases that the AI, you know, application might bring to um, such actions. We want to be aware of, of that and make sure that that's not reinforcing reinforcing existing biases in ourselves. But that sense-making piece is a place where I think AI could be enormously helpful to what we're trying to accomplish with learning by focusing our our attention resources and perhaps giving us also a chance to um, use a different mode of attention as part of the sense-making process where we can be more reflective. Then the second part of this is about meaning-making, right, which is really what, you know, the question that I would ask in this is what are the human implications of the sense-making that we've just done, right? So to go back to our example around AI, we might ask ourselves, how will AI affect the lives of real people, right? We've already been discussing today um, the ethical considerations of artificial intelligence. There are some people who think that sense-making and meaning-making are the same thing. Um, and I, I, did, I don't agree with that. I think in today's environment, it's important for us to treat them as separate activities, separate but very much connected activities, and apply our attention to them in different ways, right? So whereas AI might be primarily, or excuse me, whereas AI might help us primarily um, with the sense-making process, the meaning-making process is profoundly human in nature, right? It requires empathy. It requires reflection. It requires literally an, inter- an ability to interact with the world in a way that um, narrow artificial intelligence applications cannot do. And, and so we can bring more of our, our second mode of attention to bear um, on the, um, on, on the, the meaning-making process. So the third aspect of the cycle, we connect sense-making and meaning-making to one another, and we come to decision-making. And, you know, decision-making is, is about, you know, what do I or what do we need to do with our now connected intellectual and empathic understandings of whatever the issue is. Again, our, in our example, we're using AI. So, you know, a question we might ask in that context is, how should we move forward with using AI that genuinely benefits, genuinely benefits both the organization and its stakeholders? Um, in the context of making such decisions, AI might be able to help us generate options that we might pursue. It might even be able to help focus our attention on which options, options would be most beneficial. At the same time, we want to keep human judgment in the loop and connect that connect our decision making to additional sense making, which will bring us back to the beginning of the cycle. So we need to be able to bring together the the benefits of artificial intelligence in the learning process with the benefits of of human participation, obviously, in the learning process, and bring it back to the beginning of our cycle because we're going to keep doing additional sense making. Now, as I mentioned, you know, this process that I just described is repeated reflexively many times a day by knowledge workers on a variety of issues. So what we need to do from a learning perspective is really help our learners become more aware 
their learning processes, which, as you well know, is is something that is referred to as metacognition, and that's something that the authors of the HBR article that I referenced earlier, um, they also advocate for increased awareness and helping learners understand metacognition. Um, and that will help them develop more the more intimate connection between work and learning that I that I described before. So one other final point on this is that you know as as we look at the future of work, um, we also need to help workers slash learners, sort of the combined worker learner, look at a more granular level at the work that they are doing to make sure that they can adapt in the face of automation. So. As, as they begin remaking their workforces, what companies are doing is looking at the specific tasks and activities that workers perform, and they're trying to identify repetitive and routine forms of work that can be accomplished with minimal interaction, minimal collaboration, and they're seeing these as targets for automation. So it's, it might, you know, we might hear in the media about the elimination of jobs, but I think even, you know, companies are getting to a more granular level of what tasks and activities do we have to automate Perhaps, hopefully, that means they're trying to find other ways to use that human capability, sort of uh, moving it to other kinds of work. So I think the challenge for learning leaders um, is to help workers develop the human skills that they need to avoid becoming um, to avoid becoming targets for automation. Those skills include collaboration, they include creativity, empathy, imagination, other kinds of human skills. And, uh, you know, I also think it's critical that if, you know, if you're providing a credential to someone, a certification or some other kind of credential, it's important to closely examine the underlying curriculum, uh, the underlying curricula go along with that credential to ensure that the curricula isn't forcing learners down learning pathways that only build or reinforce skills um, that are already or will soon become targets for automation. I have real concern that some kinds of credentials um, are actually composed, you know, what people are learning are composed of optimizing their ability to perform tasks or functions or activities that will eventually be automated. And that would be a terrible outcome for those learners. What we need is to help learners develop a combination of technical skills, which is literally the skills they need to know to do their jobs, whatever work they do, what are the technical skills of that work, Digital skills, and I distinguish between the two, digital skills is understanding how to use technology effectively, all forms of technology, including artificial intelligence, and human skills, the ones I just described, collaboration, creativity, empathy, imagination, communication, other things of that nature. We need to help learners have capabilities in all three areas, knowing what, how to do their jobs, knowing how to use technology effectively, and knowing how to function uh, using their human skills. We need to get away from this um, unhelpful dichotomy between so-called hard and soft skills. It's it's not a good way of talking about it. Um, instead, we need to get a lot more specific and a lot more granular, which is why I think technical, digital, and human is a better way of talking about it, because that's going to help our learners um, be able to evaluate what skills they need to have in a world in which artificial intelligence is, is likely to um, influence their the work that they do, if not in terms of automating it, certainly affecting you know the possibility that they'll have to work with more machine intelligence in their work. So we need to help them adapt to, to that reality as well. So there's there's a lot of stuff, um, I think, embedded in, in, in these conversations around work and learning that we need to tease out. And those are those are some things that I that I think are are pretty significant. 
Yes, absolutely. I, I really appreciate what you were saying around credentialing and then sort of the responsibility, the the ethical um, responsibility that, that providers of learning would have around um, that, making sure that they're um, thinking about those three aspects, technical, digital, and human skills. If you're looking to supplement your human skills with technical and digital skills to improve your learning business, we encourage you to check out our sponsor for this quarter. Authentic Learning Labs is an education company seeking to bring complementary tech and services to empower publishers and L&D organizations to help elevate their programs. The company leverages technology like AI, data analytics, and advanced embeddable API-based services to complement existing initiatives, offering capabilities that are typically out of reach for resource-stretched groups or growing programs needing to scale. Find out more at leadinglearning.com authentic. And now, back to Salisa and Jeff as they turn to the idea of integrated intelligences. I think we're beginning to get into this anyway because you're sort of talking about those different skill sets. But I know that I've also seen you write about the the need for integrated intelligences, so that blending of human and machine uh, intelligence, um, and that that's really important if organizations want to be ready for the future. Um, so will you talk a little bit about that integration of intelligences in terms of what does it look like and, and maybe a little bit more about what the benefits are? Sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. So as you know, Salisa, I, I work with legacy organizations that often struggle with shifting their orientation toward the future. So I think it's time for those organizations and I think really all organizations to acknowledge that we're not going to be able to build the kind of future readiness that we need for organizations that have been around for a long time based on human intelligence alone. You know, despite all the misgivings that we can have and all the concerns, and I think those concerns are legitimately, as we discussed, I still think on balance, you know, we're looking at artificial intelligence as a, as a positive thing, and so we should be applying machine intelligence as well. So what we want to try to do is look at ways to integrate human and machine intelligence to derive not only their separate benefits, but also the amplified benefits that will come when they reinforce and strengthen each other. So to, to, to talk a little bit about that, we return to that learning cycle that I was just talking about, the learning cycle of sense-making, meaning-making, decision-making. There are some, as I described, there are some aspects of that learning cycle where machine learning will provide value that is superior to what humans can accomplish on their own. The ability to sort through lots and lots of content, you know, being able to search for things more effectively and be able to create summaries around things and be able to recognize patterns. That kind of intelligence is, is something that machines will be able to do and already can do a whole lot better. There will be places where human intelligence where we'll be able to provide value that machines cannot offer, including around human skills. The other aspect of this, too, that I think is important is being able to um, <clears throat> bring into the way we think about intelligences in our organizations and integration is the kind of tacit knowledge um, that human beings possess um, from their own experiences. Now, sometimes that tacit knowledge is is grounded in orthodoxy, and so it may not be that useful. We have to examine that. But there's still a lot of tacit knowledge that people have picked up over the years that can be beneficial and, and should not be discarded. It's part of, you know, when we think about our society getting older, for example, we talk about people potentially retiring uh, from their work, and we don't want to necessarily lose out on everything that they've learned as they exit an organization. There, there will be people outside of our organizations 
um, who we don't work with on a day and out basis, but that we maybe have some kind of relationship with where we want to tap into what they've learned. So there's a need for that human dimension. So um, there'll be places where machine learning, you know, or, or artificial intelligence in general will uh, provide value that's better than what people can do. Um, places where we, what we do will be better and we can bring in other things that are beyond the scope of what, of what AI can accomplish. And then if we work to integrate them, um, then I think what will happen is we'll be able to learn more quickly. We'll be able to understand more deeply from multiple dimensions. We'll be able to anticipate, um, what's happening, you know, what's coming next, uh, with greater consistency, um, to help, you know, all the stakeholders, of these organizations thrive, whether they're customers or clients or members or staff or employees, you know, whatever the stakeholder group is, we want everyone to be able to thrive as best we can. And, you know, of course, when we look at, you know, integrating, of course, we're likely to integrate these things using some kind of technology platform to ensure it's accessible. That's kind of the point. But it's recognizing that within that technology platform, there can't just be technology. There also has to be humanity um, within that platform. And so that, that integration has to be done in a responsible and ethical manner, as I as I've been describing to you today, and and so I think you know that's that's kind of where I, I I hope it will be headed is that rather than it just being about machine versus human intelligence, it's really about recognizing that the integration of machine and human intelligence is what's going to um, really going to drive us forward. And you know I think you're hearing this in a variety of places. There are a lot of other alternative terms. That are being used, extended intelligence and anticipatory intelligence, and um, you know, augmented intelligence. There's other ways of describing it that are being used out there because I think people, I think people are beginning to really recognize that it's not an either or; it's a both and. And uh, at least I hope that's what the message that that is getting out there. And so I think that the more we can think about this as an integration of human and machine intelligence, the better off everyone will be, and because we will derive a, the real benefits of that. Uh, as well as position ourselves in a way where we are looking at it through the lens of being responsible and ethical and and, and building artificial intelligence in a way that does advance the well-being of society and doesn't simply exacerbate you know the existing divisions that that are kind of you know creating real problems uh, around the world. So Jeff, one of the things I admire is that you think really analytically about things, but you also think really practically about them. So. I would love for you to give some advice to our listeners in terms of artificial intelligence. You know, so what should they be doing or asking or thinking about if if they're there in their learning business and saying, "Okay, AI." Yeah. So I've got I've got four you know areas that I, that I hope will be beneficial to people. Um, I think the first thing is again going back to the need for attention. So it's critical to focus our attention on what's happening in the AI space um, and to look beyond product announcements, beyond market forecasts, beyond tech billionaire opinions. You know, the, the, the mainstream media has a tendency to cover, and I, I've been pretty hard on the mainstream media in this, uh, <laughs> in, this, in this conversation because that is the number one way that most people are getting their information, and I don't know that they're doing I Well, I should, I should not qualify it. I know they're not doing the best possible job um, that they could on this, and and you know I guess to be fair that there's they have a lot going on, um, and so but this is such an important area that we can't limit ourselves to what hot new product is being announced next, what market forecast 
that says the AI market will be, you know, $87 billion. I mean, that doesn't help us, right? All it says is that someone thinks that a lot of people, that people are going to spend a lot of money on AI over the course of the next 10 years. And while I think it's worth listening to what tech billionaires say about, about artificial intelligence, um, you know, the, uh, sadly, the vast majority of those tech billionaires are white men. <laughs> Mm. And and their view of 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 um, uh, of of AI is is based on you know that is is grounded in that in that perspective. Um, and, and I shouldn't say the vast majority. I can't think of a single tech billionaire who isn't a white man. And um, and so you know that that is that's a real issue. So instead, we need to research the views of people who are actually developing AI. There um, you know there are a number of of um, of, of groups. That have been formed around more, you know, the uh, people of color, women of color, others who are working at that. I think you know to look for resources from from entities um, like the AI Now Institute at New York University, which is very focused on you know algorithmic uh, accountability and, and responsibility, um, and looking for information out there. And there's there is a lot of it, um, you know, to 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 learn how to think about the responsible and ethical implementation of AI. So I think that's the first thing. Uh, to do is to understand what's happening in the space and to go beyond the pronouncements that are coming from um, you know the top level of the uh, of that or the the most the most widely recognized is a better way to say it the most widely recognized part of the field and instead go deeper uh, to understand what people on the ground are saying about what's happening including understanding the diversity crisis and issues around bias and so on I think it's important for anyone in a company or an organization that's going to be using or intends to use AI to clarify their intentions around AI, um, to establish, you know, clear principles around the application of artificial intelligence in learning. Um, there are a number of existing sets of principles, um, to look for around for inspiration in the development of those principles. I, I believe among them is the AI now Institute, AI now Institute that I just mentioned has a set of principles and, and there are others. Um, but it's also important. It's, it's, it's essential to not only have principles, but to act on them. Um, there are a number of sets of principles out there. What's important now is that we start implementing them. So having principles, clarifying intentions is essential. Establishing principles is essential and acting on those principles is essential. I think one specific area that we haven't previously talked about that I just want to sensitize people to that should be among these principles is making sure that steps are being taken to require learning content creators to disclose any role that artificial intelligence might play in the creation of their content and to be able to vouch for the veracity of that content. The reason why I say that is because there's a growing and very serious set of concerns around what we call deep fakes um, in artificial intelligence, and these are essentially text, images, audio, video content, that's created using a very specific form of AI called Generative Adversarial Networks, or GANs. And um, I won't go into the technical aspect of how GANs work, but what's important to know is that what comes out of general adversarial networks, or one way, one thing that has emerged, are these deep fakes where you can see videos, see images, see text, see audio that is not real, that sounds and looks and appears to be very, very real. And I don't think it. And there's plenty of stuff. You, you know, anyone who's listening to this can go Google deep fakes and find lots and lots of stuff about about deep fakes. I don't see any reason why you know what is now sort of a uh, feels like a uh, 
uh, you know, a novelty a little bit, this idea of deep fakes. You see lots of, you know, things out there. You make your, make your voice sound like Barack Obama or, you know, things are, here's a video of a speech that Barack Obama never came, never gave, but it looks and sounds like him. That's, those are deep fakes, right? And, and, you know, images, there's lots of stuff in report about the images that are generated and regenerated that are not of real people, but they look like real people. It's not a stretch to think that learning content creators could be using this kind of content in their learning, in the learning um, material that they're developing. Um, so I think it's important uh, for, for everyone to be very clear. This should be a disclosure uh, to ensure that they're not either intentionally or perhaps unintentionally, um, you know, using artificial intelligence in a way that actually ends up undermining learning. And I think that's good. If it's not already on your radar screen, it should be. Um, I think making all decisions related to artificial intelligence, using diverse teams that include people with expertise outside of technology, right? So we have to find ways to compensate for, for the shortcomings that exist and how AI is often developed and trained by integrating different perspectives into the decision-making process about how it's going to be applied. So not having one person make the decision, but actually having diverse teams Look at and understand how artificial intelligence works to the best of their ability, um, identifying potential problems, and having those decisions being made with people who are outside the technology space as well. We can't rely entirely on a technologist's point of view with respect to AI. We have to have other points of view represented because, again, the stakes are, are extremely high for the potential negative consequences. Um, and then finally, in terms of advice, I would say that um, I would ask every technology provider that you're working with about how they are using AI in their applications and how they are doing so and to be specific about what they're doing to ensure that artificial intelligence is being integrated into their applications in a responsible and ethical manner. They should be um, any company that cares about this will not be in any way scared by that question. Um, if they are scared by that question, they try to put it off, that should be a red flag in my opinion. Any company that cares about responsible and ethical um, artificial intelligence and its implementation in that fashion will have an answer ready to share with you. And you'll want to probe that answer to make sure it's not just marketing speak. But it's important to, and, that, and that's any aspect of it, whether it's the actual learning you know, management systems or whether it's the marketing systems or any, any tools being used, so assessment systems, any tools being used that incorporate artificial intelligence. There has to be clarity around how the AI is being, was developed in a responsible way, trained in a responsible way, implemented in an ethical fashion. Very critical that that be done. And if they aren't using AI right now, where is AI integration on their roadmap? And what steps are they taking to ensure that the implementation of that artificial intelligence will be done in a responsible and ethical fashion? So, you know, tech companies, you know, companies that are technology providers of one type or another, have a responsibility, in my view, to be transparent about this and very upfront about how these things are being done. So I think, you know, these four areas really focusing attention, understanding what's happening in AI and going deeper beyond the surface level of public statements and sort of uh, mainstream media reporting, um, clarifying the, your own intentions around AI use uh, and making sure that you've got you know, very clear principles and, and are uh, be able to vouch for the veracity of your learning content uh, so it's not corrupted by, um, by artificial intelligence that's being used in an inappropriate way, uh, making decisions about AI with the diverse teams uh, to compensate for some of the potential shortcomings and how AI was developed, 
and, and making sure the technology providers are above board uh, in every aspect of how they're using AI. Because right, you know, right now there's so much energy on artificial intelligence. I mean, if you put AI in something, people pay attention to it, right? And so it's become a huge part of the marketing piece. But it's not enough for things to be leading edge by saying, hey, we're using AI to do this or that or the other thing. That's not enough. There has to be clarity around how that AI is being developed. And, and again, if anyone is sort of deferring the question or or saying, oh, that's not important, then to me that is a huge red flag. It's very important, and the technology companies must understand that they they have a much greater responsibility around this um, and need to, to step up and embrace that responsibility instead of suggesting that there's a problem with you even asking the question. Salisa is about to ask Jeff our signature question about one of his most powerful learning experiences. But if you're looking to create powerful learning experiences, we suggest you check out our sponsor for this quarter. Blue Sky eLearn is the creator of the PATH Learning Management System, an award-winning cloud-based learning solution that allows organizations to easily deliver, track, and monetize valuable education and event content online. Blue Sky also provides webinar and webcast services, helping you maximize your content and create deeper engagement with your audience across the world. To find out more about Blue Sky eLearn and everything they offer, visit leadinglearning.com slash blue sky. And now back to the interview and Jeff's answer to our signature question. So now let's shift gears a little bit. This uh, next question is our next to last one. It doesn't necessarily have anything to do with artificial intelligence. This is one we ask of all of our guests, namely, what's one of your um, most powerful learning experiences that you've been involved with since finishing your formal education? Well, you know, Salisa, I really appreciate you asking this question, um, and, and I hope that my answer doesn't sound like like humble bragging because it really it really isn't <laughs> it isn't intended in that way because um, it's something I don't really talk about that much and and I just wanted to you know share some things about you know how much all this means to me so you know since I was a kid um, learning has always had a special importance to me I was very you know I'm very grateful and I feel very lucky to have been afforded afforded many powerful learning opportunities during the earliest years of my life. Um, and, and I feel very fortunate that, um, having had those experiences and having been able to, um, uh, to prioritize learning in my life and part of it was school and part of it was my parents. And, um, you know, so I'm, I'm, my gratitude is overflowing. You know, I, I'm, I'm fortunate that I was able to, to graduate from two of the, of the world's leading universities. And so that, that means a lot to me personally. Um, and, and, you know, I think in some ways it's not surprising that my master's degree is in education and um, my concentration in that degree was in learning and teaching. So learning and, and teaching has been a part of my life. Um, you know, learning has been a part of my life since the beginning. Teaching, in a sense, has been a part of my life for a very long time as well. And I've committed myself to continuing my learning with the future, which is really central to my work in a variety of ways uh, since I finished my master's degree now more than 20 years ago. And I've had the, the privilege of being able to to participate in executive and professional development offerings that, again, at some, some of the great um, um, higher education institutions of the world at MIT and uh, the Sloan School of Management there and, and Oxford University and Harvard Business School and University of Virginia Darden Business School of Business. So I, I you know, I, again, I don't mean to say all this because I'm, you know, trying to say how great I am. I'm saying that I feel very lucky that I've been afforded these opportunities because 
unfortunately, there are a lot of people who who don't have those kinds of opportunities, and I want to express my my gratitude and and being able to have them. I think that you know, in recent years, I would say that the the experience that has had the most um, significant you know impact on me. Um, was when I did foresight practitioner training at the Institute for the Future in Palo Alto a few years ago. Uh, it was certainly um, one of the richest and most generative experiences that I've had since I graduated uh, with my master's. And um, without question, it is a major reason why I'm pursuing the work that I am today. Um, it is a continuing source of inspiration for uh, additional learning with the future, which I try to do at all times. And, you know, I know as we were discussing ahead of time how I, you know, how I might answer this question, you know, I also facilitate, as you know, facilitate lots of sessions and do a lot of speaking and that sort of thing. You mentioned that in the introduction. Um, You know, as for the learning experiences that I've led um, over the years, I, you know, I hope that the people who have participated in them, um, and it's been a lot of them over, over a number, you know, over more than 17 years, certainly even before I was a consultant, I hope that they feel that they have gotten significant value, um, out of them, um, because of my personal commitment to, to learning. And I hope that that is, um, resonated uh, for them. And I certainly, um, have learned a lot from those people that I've worked with over the years. And, and, you know, one of my, one of my personal priorities is not only my own learning, but trying to help others learn as well. I love helping people uh, to learn and particularly now with the, the stakes being as high as they are, as we've discussed, um, I think, um, you know, learning is so critical and I'm going to continue for, for the foreseeable future, trying to support not only my own learning, but the learning of as many people as possible. And so, you know, again, I, I really appreciate the chance to talk about it. And I appreciate the chance to, to discuss some of these issues with you on, on this podcast, because for me, this is also uh, a part of my own personal purpose around to advance the learning of others. And I hope that I've done that. Well, I think it's very clear how seriously you take learning and how you continue to engage and just uh, the attention that you've brought to this conversation. So thank you for that, Jeff. And the final question is just if listeners want to know more about your work or connect with you, where should they go? So uh, my website is uh, foresightfirst.io. Uh, they can you can email me at jeff at foresightfirst.io. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at duty of foresight. Um, on Twitter, so that's uh, duty of foresight, all you know, all one term. And we'll uh, I'll provide you with my LinkedIn um, uh, profile link so people can connect with me. It's a little you know, it's a bit long to, to say the whole. Sure, the whole we'll get that link. in the show we'll, notes. Yeah. With the, with the LinkedIn profile, people want to connect on LinkedIn. I certainly hope that people will connect because I'd love to hear what people are doing, and um, um, and I'm you know, really excited to to think about and talk about uh, and learn from others about the connections that others are making between artificial intelligence and, and what we need to, how we need to think about learning and work. Um, Cause clearly, you know, what we've talked about today, even though there was a lot in there, it's just really scratches the surface of, of the issues that we have, we have to grapple with. So there's a lot more to, to discuss, but I certainly welcome people to reach out. I, I look forward to, to having further conversations with anyone who would like to do that. Well, great. Thanks so much for your time, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Salisa. I very much appreciate the opportunity. That wraps up our two-part interview with Jeff DeCanya on artificial intelligence. That's our first double album here on the Leading Learning Podcast. And to get show notes for this, half of it, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 178. When you check out the show notes, you're going to see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of what you hear, 
Jeff and I would be truly grateful if you would subscribe as it helps us to get some insight into the impact of what we're doing with the podcast. And we'd also be grateful if you take just a minute to give us a rating and review on whatever service you use to listen to Leading Learning. If you use iTunes, you can just go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes, and that'll put you in the right place. So Lisa and I personally appreciate your rating and review. We like to know that you're getting value out of the podcast, but also it helps other potential listeners to find leading learning when they go searching. Those artificial intelligence-driven algorithms out there are much more likely to pop us up to those searchers if you have taken the time, dear listener, to give a rating and review. We'd be grateful if you would check out our sponsors for this quarter. Find out more about Authentic Learning Labs at leadinglearning.com authentic and find out what Blue Sky eLearn has to offer at leadinglearning.com slash bluesky. Finally, please consider telling others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share. And you can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash leading lifelong learning. And of course, you can share us with others there. However you do it, please do help share the good word about leading learning. Thanks again and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.